Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, here we have kilometres, but if you were marching today, you might be nostalgic for the mile. So how did we get to generally accepted standards of measurement that we have today? James Vincent is the author of Beyond Measure, The Hidden History of Measurement. James, good afternoon. Afternoon, Sean. Thank you for having me on. As far as we can tell, what was the first thing that humans began to measure? I think we don't have the exact answer to that question. It's one of those technologies, if you want to call it a technology, and I think that's appropriate, that the origins of it are just so far back in time that we can't know for sure. However, I would say if there is something we started to measure first, it would have probably come from the natural rhythms of the world. So things like the waxing and waning of the moon, uh, that would have been you know, something that people, ancient people saw that happened with some regularity and they would begin to measure the world using that as a standard. Mm. And that would, I suppose, because that might have been the first important thing, say, in terms of uh, for early agricultural communities. Absolutely. People talk about there being uh, a calendar of the seasons. And I think that's a sort of very appropriate way to think about early measurement is that essentially what you're looking for is you're looking for consistency in the universe, something by which you can compare the other irregularities and things like obviously the day, the month, uh, the appearance of certain crops, the disappearance of certain animals. Those things happen with such regularity that you can sort of set your watch by them. And once we start measuring time like that, then we start beginning to predict the future essentially you know when to plant you know when to sow and that helps you build your society so this is where measurement comes from essentially is that we want to know how the world is going to happen next and it helps if we keep count of that Mm. and that in in turn i suppose leads to all sorts of interesting measurements many of which aren't in use today uh what was a collop (laughs) a collop was an old irish unit it's one of the favorite ones like my favorite ones that i came across in the in the book and it's defined as the amount of land needed to graze a single cow. Um, so this is sort of uh, typical of many uh, pre-modern units, shall we say, units of measurement, particularly units of land measurement, uh, not just in Ireland, but across Europe and the world, um, where you have a unit that sort of is not as we think of it today, like a mile or a kilometre, where it has a consistent length that is the same over and over, but it's measuring some other aspect of the land. In this case, the land's ability to support, you know, uh, wildlife. So if you're measuring land in a, in a collop, you know, if you, if you measure land in a kilometre, for example, you don't, it doesn't say whether it's good land or bad land. It could be barren hillside, it could be a lush pasture. But if you're measuring it in a collop, you know exactly what work it can be put to. So it encodes information that is particularly useful in an agriculture cultural society mm. uh, and we see this in other units like the acre for example which originally used to be defined as the area of land that can be plowed by a man and a team of oxen in a single day yeah though i suppose you know those things are kind of arbitrary to a certain extent i mean the, you also feature a couple of measurements old measurements from finland one about a dog's bark and how far <laughs> a reindeer can go without having to pee yeah, that's uh, the dog's bark one is uh, the peninculma. Uh, yeah, which is the distance a dog's bark can be heard. It's about six kilometers more or less. And uh, the reindeer, reindeer's pee one is the poronkasuma. Um, and again, these are things that, you know, they are units in, in the case of the peninculma, the dog's bark one, that will tell you something about the landscape. So a peninculma would be different, uh, whether it's measured across dense forest where sound would be shut off, or whether it's measured across open valley. And if you're working in 
in the woods or the valleys with your dogs, then measuring something in those distances makes sense because, you know, it's, it's practical information that will affect your daily life. Mm. Now, as you kind of outlined in the book, invariably these things intersect with politics and power and who controls uh, the measurement. Um, Tell us the story of Le Grand K, because I suppose (laughs) that encapsulates an awful lot of this. Yeah. So Le Grand K was the kilogram for for centuries, essentially. So the, 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 the kilogram and the other units in the metric system were invented during the French Revolution. Um, and they were invented for practical reasons that France really didn't have a consistent system of measurement. Um, the units differed from town to town, from region to region, and people wanted to have a solution for that. But it was also a political and ideologically motivated invention in that. So the old unit uh, of length used to be the pied du roi, which was literally the foot of the king. It dated back to Charlemagne and it was based on the authority of the king. You know, it was his foot if no one else's. And they replaced that with the meter, which was a unit uh, derived from the planet itself. The original definition is one ten millionth of the distance from the North Pole to the equator. But you have this huge ideological intent behind that uh, replacement. So it's saying we don't need to rely on the authority of kings in order to measure up the world. We can do it through rational means, through scientific methods. And that was something that really chimed with the greater ideals of the French Revolution. Um, So for that reason, you know, politics and measurement go hand in hand and they always have done. Because if you control the measurements, it's not only only good for your country, but it's a sort of unifying force that binds together nations. Mm. Now, but the problem with Le Grand K is that, correct me if I'm wrong, this was a physical object and therefore this was a kilogram. And if if your if your kilogram of sugar didn't weigh the same as Le Grand K, then it wasn't a kilogram, even though Le Grand K mightn't be a kilogram. (laughs) <laughs> so there was a point at which the Lagrange, Le- well, Lagrange was always a kilogram because it was the definition of a kilogram, but it did start losing weight about 50 years ago or so. Uh, not a lot of weight, just 50 micrograms, which is about equal to the weight of a single eyelash. But obviously, if you're a scientist working in the high precision world of measurement, that's the sort of thing you'll notice. Um, so what they had to do was get rid of Lagrange, get rid of this physical object and replace it with something abstract and immaterial. And they've actually done this now for every unit of the metric system. They all used to be based on physical objects or physical standards. Um, So you had a meter bar, you had a kilogram weight, and they are now replaced with these sort of very complicated uh, calculations involving what we call constants of the universe. So that might be the speed of light, or it might be the sort of uh, frequency of atoms. And these are things that, as far as we know, don't change anywhere within reality. So that's mm. sort of like the bedrock, the foundation of knowledge. And now that is what we base uh, the metric system on, yeah. uh, which is a pretty good, pretty good way to define things, if you ask me. Yeah, no, but, but the French kind of, was it the French or, or, or a group within France kind of really held out on Le Grand K? It wasn't changed until relatively recently. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, this, it was not really pressing to change it basically Mm. you know scientists like coming up with these things saying oh we've based the measurements on the constants of the universe and we now define the meter by the speed of light and you know it's great it's good 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 work on it um but for a lot of sort of practical usages the amount of precision we had with the old physical standards uh, was enough i mean there have been problems in the past with physical standards so for example in the 19th century 
Um, when the old Palace of Westminster in the UK burnt down, that contained the old uh, the old pound standard and the old yardstick, the yardstick. They both got melted in the fire. And there was a situation in the UK, you know, during the sort of early 19th century where there wasn't an official unit of weight or length because hmm. the standards they were based on had gone up in smoke, quite literally. But, you know, since then, we've got a bit better at keeping these objects and making sure there's a few spares lying around in case anyone starts lighting fires. Um, so it wasn't a huge problem that needed dealing with. But it's when you get to sort of really high precision science stuff. So we're talking things like, uh, you know, CERN with the Large Hadron Collider or, you know, the, the recently launched James Webb telescope that's mm. up in space at the moment. You know, when you're getting into that sort of stuff, you do really need these incredibly precise measurements. And that's why we've ended up replacing and getting rid of these old physical standards. Uh, though Boris Johnson, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, did, uh, did <laughs> tease people with the notion of bringing back uh, uh, imperial measures. Uh, is there, however small, but is there is there a kind of a small group of people in England who would like to do that? There absolutely are. There's fanatics out there wherever you look, Sean. And there's even fanatics in the world of measurement. So uh, for my book, I hung around with a group of these people. Um, They call themselves Active Resistance to Metrication. And they're basically a bunch of pensioners, eccentric pensioners, who run around uh, the United Kingdom and they go, they tear down signposts which have metric units on them, and they replace them with imperial ones. Um, And the weird thing is they're actually legally in the right to do that, in that the UK law is obviously terribly split when it comes to metric versus imperial. But signposts are one of the places where imperial units are still supposed to be used. We're supposed to have miles, yards on the signposts. Um, So they go around replacing them and they think of themselves as sort of guerrilla fighters in this great battle to preserve um, the nation's heritage. Because for them, and, you know, whilst I think their means are somewhat uh, eccentric, um, I do sort of, well, no, I do respect where they're coming from. Because for them, you know, the issue of weights and measures isn't just about uh, units and how you use them and what their names are. It's about history. It's about heritage. And for them, they think that the EU's sort of embrace of uh, the metric system um, is, well, inimical to uh, the UK's history. And would you guess a lot of these people are also Brexiteers? Um, A few of them are in the UKIP party. And it's really become a political issue. And this is, I think, what Johnson was trying to key into. Um, He was trying to really, you know, rile up the conservative base in the same way that Blue Passports did or something like that. Yeah, how fascinating. James, thanks very much for speaking with us today. That was James Vincent there, author of Beyond Measure, The Hidden History of Measurement. That's our lot uh, for today. Kieran's up next on The Hard Shoulder. Our production team today, Ashley Moore, Simon Tierney, Mark Culligan and Claire Collins. We'll talk to you tomorrow at two. See you then. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.